from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good Podcast. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good Podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley. With me is our War Cry Editorial Director, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Good afternoon, Jeff. Greetings. Good to be with you. I always kind of step on you there. You know, you're no, I, 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 I intrude quickly. <laughs> you intrude. No, no intrusion. We're really glad. I'm glad that you're here and hope you're, Thank you. you're doing well. And uh, somewhere off in the distance is our producer, Elizabeth. Greetings, Elizabeth. Howdy. How's your day going today? Oh, it's super wonderful. How's your day going? Well, super fantastic. Even better, because we are having another episode of, of Fight for Good, and it's a very special one. I say that every time, don't I? You do. I, I have to come up with another. super. This one is super special, and I'll <laughs> let you know why. Because we have with us today a very, very special guest. We're going to be speaking with the general director of the Church of God. We have Jim Lyon with us today on the on on the line. So Jim, good afternoon and welcome to Fight for Good. Hey, thanks for having me Tim. So good to hear your voice and to meet up with Jeff and Elizabeth too. Jim is uh, I've met Jim uh, back in December. We are uh, representatives together on something called the GWA. It's the Global Wesleyan Alliance and it's a it's a wonderful consortium of uh, church leaders in the uh, tribe of, of uh, Wesleyan theology um, uh, with uh, folks from the Free Methodist and uh, from uh, Nazarene and uh, on and on in Church of God. But uh, Jim, it was really a pleasure to make your acquaintance at that meeting uh, back in uh, December uh, when we were out in Kansas. Um, you and I recently uh, uh, got hooked up a little bit with the COVID-19. You, you gave me a call one day and you asked if I could come on to a Zoom co conference um, with folks in, in your denomination. And that was just a, a great experience. How, how has the Church of God been responding to the COVID-19 uh, situation? Well, Tim, first of all, thanks for joining our Zoom call where we were... Uh, creating a forum for many of our church leaders across the country in the U.S. and Canada, uh, trying to determine how best to move forward in the face of the pandemic. Uh, I'm going to guess that the Church of God, and we have a few thousand congregations uh, in the United States and Canada, uh, is is grappling with this in the way that many are, with a little bit of uh, intrepidation. Some people are finding opportunity in the crisis. Some are paralyzed by the crisis. And some are retreating into a wagon train in the crisis. And uh, so but we have that whole spectrum of response. But uh, we are so thankful to be able to touch base with the Salvation Army, which has been from its beginning a movement of God's people who have been tuned up to, to present spiritual life in the context of sometimes, when necessary, material relief. And so uh, we're encouraging our churches to touch base with the Salvation Army wherever they are, to 
come alongside and uh, learn from the best, but also do what we can to address our larger community, not just our local churches, but to be outward focused, not just inwardly focused. Well, it's it was it it was very good to be a part of that kind of experience. And also just reminded of the scripture that reminds us that iron sharpens iron, that uh, no one of us needs to do this stuff alone in that, uh, especially in the body of Christ, we, when we can come together and support um, one another. Jeff, you had a few questions that you wanted to ask uh, Jim. Yes, certainly. It's great to speak with you. And there's so much uh, in common we have, certainly in the waters of uh, ecclesiology and uh, the gospel. But uh, could you tell us a little about yourself, Jim, and how you got to where you are today? Oh, my goodness. There's a question that you'll just have to, you know, Elizabeth will have to intervene enough. Well, we'll sit back and enjoy it. (laughs) Uh, I'm from Seattle. That's my home place. Uh, My ambition originally was to go into politics. That's what I thought uh, would be my best game. And uh, I pursued an education to that end. I went to, got an undergraduate degree at Seattle Pacific in political science so that I could go to law school. I didn't really want to be a lawyer, but law school seemed to be the graduate school for public service in the world in which I was raised. So I went to law school at the University of Washington. Uh, Along the way, though, I just had a hard time, uh, how should I say, wrestling with the law. One thing led to another, and uh, I eventually found myself in politics. I represented Northwest Seattle in the uh, state house. I loved that. I was a young guy in my late 20s and thought I had found my groove and uh, that was my destiny. But then I was redistricted out of my seat, as that happens every 10 years, you know, when they redraw the boundaries and I was put into a no man's land. Uh, All in that season of my life, the local church where I was apart from my earliest years asked me if I'd come on staff there. I made a decision to follow Jesus when I was in the seventh grade. Uh, I never imagined myself in the ministry, but that's what happened. And so redistricted out of the legislature, I found myself landing ultimately as the senior pastor of the church that raised me up, kind of an unusual journey. I was there for 20 years and then was uh, called, I believe called by God to move to Indiana where I am now to pastor another church, which I served for 22 years. So just those two churches in my lifetime have I ever been a part of because uh, the first church I pastored was the one in which I was raised. And then uh, six and a half years ago, the movement, as we call our our group, this Church of God based in Anderson, Indiana, uh, asked me if I would leave my local church and uh, take the helm at what's called Church of God Ministries, which kind of networks the whole tribe. So here I am. What what are what are um, what are you most passionate about? Well, probably uh, many things you're passionate about, but you can give us I, a few. I, I I don't know. From my earliest memory of following Jesus, I believe that following Jesus would prompt me, or use me, or push me into changing the world, because I believe that Jesus was a change agent. Uh, the, the guy who said, behold, I make all things new, was was not then and is not now the guardian of the status quo. And this guy who talked about new wine and new wineskins and all of that really appealed to me. And, and I wanted to go in government, if you recall, because I saw it as a chance to change the world. But now I realize uh, that 
changing the world through the ministry of the gospel, which I loved even before I thought of the ministry, but now I understand more completely, I think, is the answer. It is the way forward, no matter what bedevils us. And so my passion is to follow Jesus and to do so boldly and courageously and sometimes into the the thicket uh, so that the world can be made a better place. I mean, I could go on and on, but I'll tell you what, I think that uh, God spoke the world into being and it was perfect and it was without flaw. And then the enemy of our souls entered in. He corrupted the whole of the human heart, but also creation. The whole thing's been a mess up since then. And the whole story of the scripture is God intervening to take back what hell has stolen, what was was robbed at the dawn of history. The gospel is intending to take back until at last the Lord comes back and makes all things right. And I'm just in that groove. I, I want to be in that contest and to push back hell's domain and advance heavens. And that is where I am. That's what I do. I'm not always good at it, but that's my passion, if that's the question. Yeah, just interesting. I just read a quote by Martin Luther King saying um, that the church's role is to be the conscience of the nation. Uh, it's interesting. You must have perspectives on the relationship between the church and the state. But um, tell us a little bit about what um, the church of God is and how you see this this change, this transformation that you're longing for in the world um, to be expressed through it. Well, the church of God is in self-referred to as a movement. It, it saw itself not necessarily as establishing a new denominational group, but a movement within the larger body of Christ. It was born in the uh, late 19th century, as so many of the holiness groups were. Uh, you know, in the aftermath of the Civil War in the United States, at least, there was a lot of spiritual turmoil and so on, a lot of movement. Um, Wesleyan theology was deep uh, in the mix, and uh, a concept of holiness that uh, people who follow Jesus can also be possessed by the Holy Spirit in a way that empowers them to do things that otherwise they could not, including resisting temptations, but also uh, supernaturally uh, impacting the world around them. There was a guy named Daniel Sidney Warner. He was a Civil War veteran who became a pacifist after the war and uh, was deep into his journey with Jesus, who felt like he had an experience much like the Wesleys did with the Holy Spirit after his conversion that transformed his thinking. And he got on the stump and he, he basically had two big ideas. One is church is one. All people who follow Jesus, who are redeemed by the blood and alleged to him are part of the church of God, which is a, a phraseology that comes right out of the New Testament, of course. And and, and that people should not create rules and barriers and regulations to interrupt the unity of the church. He, he saw a lot of sectarian strife in his day and competition between denominations, and that, that was problematic for him. And he just wanted people to know, if you'll come to Jesus, uh, you could be a part of the church of God, not in a sectarian way, but in, the, in this New Testament broad brush. And furthermore, that you should not be content with just professing Jesus as Lord, but you should actually allow yourself to be possessed by his Holy Spirit so that you can transform the world. And so that was born in 1880, actually. He started a new, 
paper. He became uh, alongside a newspaper already existed, but he kind of moved into the lead seat called the Gospel Trumpet. That was in Indianapolis in 1880. And that Gospel Trumpet magazine was so widely read and so much embraced that people would write into the Gospel Trumpet and say, hey, we love this teaching. Can you tell us more? And so the Gospel Trumpet Company would send people out and essentially little congregations would be formed around these two emphases. And that's the origin. And we're still on that train. Interestingly, I was just doing some homework on this and found that Warner, uh, who was our progenitor, our founder, you might say, uh, was very, very much involved with the Salvation Army in Indianapolis and was a fan. And so he used the gospel trumpet uh, in the early years. He was reporting on the Salvation Army and all the good it was doing and all the ways in which it advanced the gospel cause. And, and we should all be uh, working in this line. And so here I am talking to you today, <laughs> standing on those shoulders. So, so glad to be. Well, we're, we're, we're so grateful, Jim, that you took, uh, you took an initiative uh, to reach out to the Salvation Army and we're asking, you know, how the Church of God can get involved. How, how's the Church of God adapting during, uh, during uh, COVID? At the time of recording here, uh, we're pushing past almost seven weeks. Um, so I imagine a lot of different things have kind of uh, flown for you, things down the river a little bit. Uh, how, how are things going? Well, uh, I, I would say that it's our premise that in an, a crisis like the pandemic, our first default will be to survive. That's what people tend to do and churches tend to do that. And and the first thought that comes to mind is, uh-oh, how will we survive? What if we can't have our church meetings? Uh, what if people lose their jobs and the income stream evaporates and so on? I mean, these are survival responses and they're reasonable and they're of course appropriate at a certain level. But if the church is focused singly on survival, it will likely perish because serving is the way of Jesus. And that's a vocabulary we use a lot, the way of Jesus. And uh, to follow in his way, you have to serve. You have to become the servant of all. So we're trying to help our churches to think both about survival, of course, but also about serving, and that the churches that serve are the ones that are most likely to survive. And consequently, uh, there's a whole menu, you might say, of ways in which churches are are embracing this. Some are not. Some are still pretty focused on survival, of course, and no shame in that of just saying that the impacts are more minimum and and the churches are in more desperate shape. But for those who have taken the step of faith to serve, to serve their larger community in the crisis, in a world where people have been stopped in their tracks, everyone has been, in a world where most people had imagined that they were the masters of their universe, uh, that you know we can do what we will, when we will, how we will, suddenly the whole world has been stopped and realize that we are not in charge of the universe and there are things beyond our control. And that opens the heart store to not just, well, how do I survive? That's what even the secular world says, but also to rethink the spiritual dimensions of life. And so in this crisis, there's a great opportunity to serve and to serve well and to serve not just in material relief or in the circumstantial remedies, but also to speak into the spiritual heart of those that we meet 
And so we have churches that are doing that, uh, churches that have harnessed food banks, uh, for instance. Many churches have food pantries and so on, but we found that some of our churches have become actual essential in the towns where they are because they have become the place that everyone knows. If I need food, I can go. But what's so exciting is the people who have food to give are going to that local church, knowing that that's the intersection for the town. So people who are outside the church see our local congregation. I'm speaking here of Palmer, Alaska, for instance, as a, a, an essential instrument of life in the town. And of course, the witness that that brings. Why do you do that? Why are you this? So on and so forth. The opportunities that people ask are bringing Jesus right up front and center. And we're very thankful for that. Uh, we have a, churches that have daycares, a lot of childcare centers, and many have elected to close or felt like they couldn't go forward. And yet we have some realizing that providing childcare is an essential need in our communities. The people that we clap for as they march to work at the hospital, the firemen and the policemen, uh, here in my town, we're, we're gathering around the people who work in the prisons and the jails because they're also in a tight spot, taking care of their children and the ones who work at the grocery store. These are things we need and depend upon. That's also a need. And so we have some churches that have stepped up and you know bought the equipment to do temperature scanning and, and all kinds of modifications of how they do their child care so that it can still be a service available to empower others who are serving our larger society to uh, not just survive, but to triumph in these pandemic days. I'm just illustrating that each of the local churches in their own environment and circumstance, finding a need and how can we meet it for Jesus' sake and Jesus' name, but also without regard to those we serve in the sense that we're not limiting it to taking care of ourselves. We're here to become lighthouses and essential uh, infrastructure in every community where the Lord has placed us. And uh, we're excited about that. And we're telling those stories. And the more stories we tell about these churches that do that, then some other churches say want to do that too. And let me just give you one more story. Many of our churches, again, like churches everywhere, have been experimenting with their online capacity to worship and so on and realizing that this is not necessarily just a stream to my local church to keep it together. But wow, there's been a door opened with online projection that we never had before. It's actually easier to invite your friend or coworker to an online service than it is to invite them into the doors of a building for a church Sunday service, as has been our custom. So many of our churches have had huge explosions in their audience as they've gone online. And then when you think about an online service, you're thinking, well, uh, if my audience is so broad and so on and so forth, maybe the service, the way it is configured should not necessarily be uh, an invitation to follow Jesus, as we might have thought, because we want to be sensitive to that audience. But on the other hand, I've got some churches, some some leaders who have said, no, no, this is a great opportunity. So we have a church near your headquarters in Alexandria in Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, it's called the Fairfax Community Church. And it's a church that runs about 2,500 people every Sunday in normal times. That Those are people who show up. Uh, but now that they've gone online, I mean, that's been tripled, maybe even quadrupled. And they're, they're learning that if they invite people who are watching to respond, they'll make decisions to follow Jesus right there. And so this one congregation has had just in two Sundays over 700 people who have given them their names and contact information saying, yes, 
I want to follow Jesus and transform the world too. So at every level, whether it's the communication of the gospel in a more conventional way via a service, a preached word, or whether it's meeting people at their point of need because they have lost their job. When I talk about Palmer, Alaska, uh, this is a, a town between Anchorage and Wasilla in a valley that the oil economy has collapsed everywhere in the world. And that's a that's the largest driver of Alaska's economy. The tourist industry in Alaska has collapsed. Another big dog. The economic challenges now with the pandemic on top of everything else is grave. Being that point of need to make sure people have food or whether they have childcare or whether they are cared for as they work in an institution like a hospital or a prison, all of it's part of the mix and it's opened our eyes to what we've missed before and what we can do now. Well, we thank God for your uh, passion and what God's doing through the ministry of the Church of God across the nation and across the world. It's exciting to hear just even locally hear what you were talking about with the community church in Fairfax. One of the special things uh, that we get to do in publications for the Salvation Army is to hear story story after story, and volunteers like yourself uh, that choose to get involved with the Salvation Army. You sent us a, a little, um, just a little note and just a, a picture of uh, your involvement uh, with a, a group of folks in Anderson, Indiana, and in the Salvation Army. Tell us a little bit about that story, uh, and our readers and listeners can make the connection in the June issue of The War Cry. Absolutely. Uh, well, as the pandemic unfolded, I did reach out to you, Tim, because I respect and value the Salvation Army and know that it has some ministry experience that not everyone has. And you referred me to some links on the web. And uh, we at Church of God Ministries, we created a portal for our churches. Again, we have thousands of churches, and this is a portal for the pandemic. In other words, uh, we're driving our churches to this as a place to get information from like the ECFA or from FEMA or from the CDC, the health side of it and so on. But we also put a direct link to the Salvation Army, recommending to our churches, if you don't know how to serve in your community, maybe that's not something that you've done before. You don't know the mayor, you're not connected to the schools, or you just don't have those uh, relationships. Contact the local Salvation Army because that is a big part of the ministry. And they would be glad to hear from you if you want to volunteer. And at the Salvation Army website, you can type in a zip code and what will come up are Salvation Army personnel or phone numbers or contact points that are in proximity to your zip code. We push that out on our portal and that's still on our portal today at jesusisthesubject.org. That's our website, backslash the way. And you'll get the Salvation Army straight up. I decided... My office here, Anderson, Indiana, is on the northeast side of the Indianapolis Metro, and uh, we've been here for many, you know, over a century, headquartered here for the movement. I decided I need to practice what I preach, so I typed in my zip code, 46012, into the Salvation Army website, and that led me to a gal named Shelley DeLong, who is uh, part of the Salvation Army ministry here in Anderson. I knew where the building was, but I had not before uh, been there. Anyway, Shelley responded quickly and said, I, I said, you know, I've got a team of people who work here. We're working remotely now because our office is closed, but uh, 
we'd love to come alongside. Is there a way we can help you? Thanks for what you do. And she got right back on it and said, hey, we have a mobile food pantry. Uh, it's going to come up again next week. Uh, we could use volunteers to help pack the food boxes and also to be present for the mobile delivery to help distribute as cars come up and so on. Uh, and I mentioned this to my team here. We have a Zoom meeting because we're working remotely, but every morning the team gets together by Zoom for a few minutes to pray and the scripture and announcements. And anyway, I said, hey, this is what we can do. And we just had a terrific response of people in my office who said, we want to volunteer. So we spent two days with the Salvation Army just last week uh, at their community center here in Anderson. And we packed food boxes and bags. Uh, Everybody got a box and a bag. Uh, for 500 families. And I learned that's a lot of packing. <laughs> did, did you have any of that? Did you have any nightmares of like the Jolly Green Giant, uh, like <laughs> throwing cans at you or anything like that? Because I've had those. Uh, I, I honestly didn't. But here's what I did think, because I'm a Y guy. I go to the YMCA. That's been my normal routine. But the Y's closed now as a gym, of course. And so I was kind of missing that. But I'm, I'm telling you, lifting around those boxes of canned food. <laughs> I, who needs a gym? So anyway, we did that. Uh, my wife went with me. We had some of our staff brought their kids. And I mean, it was just a terrific experience. And the, the local crew at the Salvation Army were very generous and welcoming and came right, I mean, welcomed us in and had everything organized so well. Uh, it just was a terrific experience. And and it also is very powerful. When you see the cars lining up, when I was driving there with my wife, the roads were blocked and we thought, well, what's going on? And then we realized it was the lineup of cars of waiting for the mobile food bank to open. And they had circumnavigated the block and were creating blocks on intersections because of the need. But again, we were so thankful that we could come alongside the Salvation Army, which had received, I'm guessing, the the food stuffs from local grocers and things, they had it all organized. And we were able just to do some of the, the grunt labor, but it was also a rich relational experience for us. So we hope for more of the same, and not just here in Anderson, but all across the land. Well, Jim, we're grateful to you and, and your staff for um, just you know taking the time to do it and make that effort. And we're also grateful for the folks in uh, Anderson, Indiana, the Salvationists there uh, for uh, opening the door and, and uh, welcoming you in and, and uh, giving you the opportunity to be blessed as you were a blessing to other folks. Just in, um, in closing, I was just wondering if you had any kind of kind of, kind of like personal either reflections or revelations of, of what, what's God kind of uh, trending in your own heart these days as we're going through this pan- pandemic? That's a great question. I think uh, whenever our lives are interrupted, uh, it's a great time to pause and think more deeply or differently than perhaps we would have in ordinary routines. And that's been true for me here. Uh, first, I would say, it's a humbling experience. And the famous verse from Second Chronicles that I've learned from my earliest days about a nation that humbles itself before the Lord, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, uh, I will hear their cry and heal their land. I mean, we're in a pandemic. We need some healing here. But humility has not been very much the stock and trade of our public discourse 
or even our personal journeys, it seems to me, in my country in recent years. And it's a humbling experience for any of us to find ourselves dependent and uncertain about what's next. And yet there's something very healthy about that. And for myself personally, it's humbling. I'm praying that that will also resonate across the country because I don't think we can get out of this until we realize our pride and our hubris, our self-preoccupation as a people, as a country even. There's that. The second thing that's really struck me is just the nature of the COVID-19. I realize many people are not touched by it, and it may seem like a far-off story or someone else's problem, and the whole nation is grappling with how to reopen and what steps we take. But in my post, I've seen some of our pastors die from the COVID-19. A five-year-old girl who made the news in Detroit, her parents are both... uh, uh, first responders, one works for the police department, the other for the fire department. And here's this little five-year-old who was isolated at home, somehow got the disease and then died. And that was one of our children in one of our congregations in Detroit. And uh, we have a, a sophomore at Anderson University, 20 years old, who is an athlete, six foot seven, star basketball and tennis player who thought the whole idea of this pandemic was nonsense until they got the COVID and couldn't breathe, could not even get up out of his bed, feared he would die. Now he knows it's the real thing. These realities have come close to me and made me think again about the transient nature of life, the fragility of life, and and the wonder of eternal life. And I'm one of the old guys. I'm I'm just days away from my 68th birthday, so I'm I'm in the in the zone. I my own mortality though has come into view in a different way. And what what if I were to contract the virus? What if I were to find myself choking? This is what this 20-year-old guy named Alec, the sophomore at AU, our school right here in Anderson, he said, I couldn't even breathe. It was like something was choking me and I was not able to gasp for air. That's terrifying. What if that happened to me? And realizing that I'm in the Lord's hands. And uh, I need to be bold and courageous and know that I am just passing through. And my job now is to help take back what hell is stolen. But whatever happens to me, it's going to be better at the close on the other side. And there's a certain kind of uh, power and liberty that comes with that. That is incredibly profound. Jim, we're so grateful. Thank you for all that you're doing. Um, I, uh, I'm just honored really to have you with us, but, but to know you and, and, uh, to consider you a, a friend and an associate in, in the battle for good, uh, in the battle of, of, of sharing God's love and the joy of Jesus and doing, doing the most good. Uh, we're, we officially dub you and knight you, uh, as a salvationist, uh, you've survived a food distribution, so you're one of us now. So, well, that, if that was boot camp, I'm in for the next chapter. I promise. <laughs> that was that was all good. It was all good. 
So again, we're, we're so grateful. Thanks for taking a few moments of your time. Uh, please convey our sincere thanks to your wife and to the, the, your team members there uh, for helping the Salvation Army and for the Church of God uh, across the nation. We thank God for your ministry and, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to great stories of collaboration once the pandemic is over. And there's other things that God will be using us together uh, in sharing the gospel gospel of hope. But thanks again for joining us. Yes, sir. Absolutely. It's been altogether my privilege and honor to even think that you would think of inviting me to your podcast. Thanks so much. God bless you, Jim. That's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer magazine on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. And until next time, this has been the Fight for Good podcast. Bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. 